What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All righty, what is up? Let's do this. It is reality check time, and I am your host, Spence Checkets. And as always, it is so good to have you with us. Really excited about this today. Jeff Van Gundy, who was our first guest in the history of this podcast, our first guest in the history of Reality Check, and he's now our first repeat guest. Couldn't get him in studio. Unfortunately, the uh, calendars didn't sync up. Jeff has been super, super busy traveling coast to coast, calling games for ESPN and ABC. But Jeff was good enough to take about 35, 40 minutes to talk about all things uh, NBA as down the stretch we come in the regular season. So I hope you enjoy it. Uh, Up your NBA knowledge with the great Jeff Van Gundy. All righty, joining me now on the podcast, he was the first guest in the history of Reality Check, and he is the first repeat guest. I thought it would be a great time, as down the stretch we go in the NBA, to be joined by a good friend of the program. He's Jeff Van Gundy back on the pod. Coach, how are you? Doing well. How are you? Doing really well. And I got to start just right here. Okay, you were the first person to talk about the possibility of the Lakers, and it's just, it's insane how fast... They have fallen, and they're not going to make the postseason. And on a broadcast pretty recently, you dropped the the Lakers should look to trade LeBron James nugget that everybody's been talking about. Do you do you think that's a legitimate possibility? What motivated you to say that about LeBron and the Lakers? Well, I think if you go back and listen to what exactly I said, I said if they could add someone like Davis, that would be great. If they can't add someone like Davis, then they should look at what, a trade for LeBron James could bring them. And if that could bring them a Herschel Walker type deal or a Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett deal, um, nothing should be off the table. And I don't don't think anything should be off the table with any team. I don't think there's any untradeable guys. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was traded. Uh, Shaquille O'Neal was traded. You know, so uh, James Harden was traded. I don't see why we have this idea that LeBron James couldn't be traded or couldn't be had if the right deal came along. You know, it's just, um, and I love the way you think. I always have. It's a really out-of-the-box possibility. Are you surprised at how sudden this fall has been? Because, Coach, like a month and a half ago when it appeared maybe the Anthony Davis trade could be a possibility, people were talking about what damage they can do in the Western Conference. And now you hear people talking about tanking to get a great draft pick. Are you surprised at how fast it's fallen in Lakerland? Right. So when James went out uh, with injury, we were actually doing the game on Christmas in Golden State, and L.A. went on to win. And so I think they were a top-four seed at that time. He missed more games than I think they expected. And when he came back, they had played poorly. 
they've taken some other injuries and they've continued to play uh, worse and worse. And um, the Western Conference, obviously, with the depth, is unforgiving. And now they're in the you know tank mode or rest mode, whatever you want to call it. And uh, yeah, I am surprised. I would have never thought at the start of the season. I, I wasn't at the start of the season. I wasn't convinced they'd make the playoffs. But by the time the first month and a half had been played out in the season, I could never have envisioned that they wouldn't make the playoffs one and two, just how far they'd fall. And I think it's dangerous, Coach, if you're a Laker fan or if you're a member of the Laker front office, just to assume you're going to be able to make a trade for Anthony Davis, especially now with the injury news about Brandon Ingram, and hopefully he recovers and and um, comes back and and fulfills his potential. But they trade Zubox to the Clippers. And so their package for Anthony Davis is not near as attractive as it was around the new year. I mean, I think it's dangerous to just to assume they're going to be able, able to make a deal for Anthony Davis or assume that one of these other free agent superstars will land there. Would you agree? Well, I think it's highly unlikely that New Orleans will trade Davis to the Lakers. Uh, I think Davis will be traded, but I, I don't think it's likely to go there unless a third team is somehow involved. Uh, as far as free agents, I, I think I'm, I'm very interested to see who wants to team up with uh, James in L.A. There's plenty of guys. There's plenty of really good players that are going to be free agents. And it's, I think it's going to be fascinating to watch if any of them, if more than one want to join him there or if they choose not to go there knowing that they'd be second fiddle to teams. I, I just can't wait to see how these guys look at their free agency options. Now, um, I referenced the fact that a lot of teams, including Los Angeles coach down the stretch, aren't playing for much. And as a fan of the league, Jeff, it, it gets really frustrating for me when I sit down to watch a game like the other night when the Lakers were playing Milwaukee and Giannis and LeBron both sat. And obviously Milwaukee's playing for a lot. I, I think Coach Bud is going to be coach of the year. At least if I had a vote, that's who I would give it to. But there, there are too many nights, Coach, where I sit down and watch so many meaningless basketball games. And, and look, it, it's part of our job to watch it. And of course, you're calling to games. But is there anything the league can do to eliminate some of these teams or some of these games, I should say, that are just fingernails on on a chalkboard? Like watching the Jazz play the Wizards the other night, Washington didn't even play hard. And then the Knicks game, I mean, we'll talk about the Knicks in a little bit. They didn't even come out and answer the bell. The Jazz had like 74 points in the first half. There's so much meaningless basketball now down the stretch. Well, there's so much much incentive to lose. and even though the odds say that it doesn't give you more chances, I also think the culture, I think we're at a dangerous time. I know a lot of the money would tell you we're not at a dangerous time, but I think we are. We have guys who voluntarily sit out games now, star players, or the people that drive ticket sales, voluntarily sit out, chill, instead of play and do their jobs. I think teams and organizations participate in that. I think teams, uh, participate in not trying their best. I think this has been going on for a while. I think now you've added in that players don't want to practice. They don't want to shoot around. So teams have given in on that. And I think teams are really not putting a good product out there in, in many cases because 
they're not putting in the effort it takes to put out a good product. And I think we're at a dangerous time. Uh, I think it's going to be hard to change it back uh, to a work league, to a, like a practice league and a preparation league. But I sure hope we take some at least minor steps to try to do so. And I think it starts with the league office down through the teams uh, to try to give the fans what they deserve for the prices they're paying, uh, both in individual players participating when they're healthy to do so and teams trying to win games. Because if you're trying to win, uh, you're going to put out a com more competitive product. And some of the games that you've referenced, uh, I was on, I, I looked at for a few minutes, and then I immediately clicked off. Yeah, it just it gets frustrating to somebody who enjoys to consume the league. Um, you know, I, I referenced the Knicks. Uh, Coach, obviously a, a franchise you know very well, having coached there for a number of years. And, and Jim Dolan, their owner, uh, made uh, national news, um, as he tends to do from time to time, when he banned a fan from MSG for saying, quote, sell the team. Um, and, and then he goes on to Michael Kay's show and talks about how they're the front runner for, for free agents. And, and it's just such a cluster back there, Coach. It, it's just so interesting to me how far they have fallen. So what was your reaction when you saw what Jim Dolan did with the fan? And, and then, you know, are there free agents that would ultimately go there, even with him owning the team? It's, it's a mess in my mind. Well, I think to answer your uh, last question first, I do think there are free agents that will go there. Um, I, I think when they traded Porzingis, uh, they either have a commitment, which people say, oh, that's illegal, but that happens in our league all the time. So I think they either have a commitment or they have a good inkling on who they can sign. I don't think you trade Porzingis without knowing that. So I, I believe they are in good position in that way. As far as being in the fan, I'm not as much into the drama of the league, uh, so I, I really don't know too much about it. I saw a little clip. I don't know if he was, if the fan was trying to set him up. I also know that you can just walk away, and I think sometimes walking away and swallowing your pride is better than confronting what you think is unfair treatment. So I don't know actually how you ban a fan. I mean, I'm, I'm surprised. If he wants to get a ticket, who would recognize this guy? Are they on the lookout for him? So I, I don't know what that really means. But I just think their priorities have to be winning and winning only. And, and if everything else, you know, just sort of stay above the fray and try to give your, uh, your, your fan base the best product you can. Uh, I think he should sell the team, Coach. Uh, and, look, it's it's not for me to tell another man what to do with his business enterprises. I just don't think it brings him – I don't know. Like, I, maybe he just enjoys having a clown mask put on him every week. But I can't imagine with all of the turmoil that that team has faced under his ownership that he actually has enjoyment owning a basketball team that makes him look so silly. I think he should sell the team. What do you think? Yeah, I'm, I'm more in what you first said. Like, I, I don't really, I don't really try to tell people what they should do or what they should do with their money. But I do think it's interesting that you say um, about his enjoyment level. Adam Silver came out the other day or a few days ago and talked about he senses that a lot of players are unhappy, and it shows, right? And I don't think it's just players. I think there's a lot of unhappiness throughout the league 
from uh, coaches, management, owners. Uh, I, I find it a very, very unhappy business right now. And I think that's unfortunate. And I don't know what necessarily you can do all about. I, I think uh, Commissioner Silver was sort of referencing more mental health issues, but I don't think it's all just mental health issues. I think it's it's mostly just people unhappy with their role or their position or how it's going for them. And I think that's really unfortunate. It should be a, a darn good job and a very exciting time where people go after each other and uh, the competition is fierce, but we also at the same time all realize just what great jobs we have. And I have a sense that that's not really how most people see it right now. You know, I, I totally agree, and I've thought about it a, a lot. And even before Commissioner Silver said what he said, this season you've seen a lot of grumpy players, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, LeBron at times, uh, and, and and guys who in their younger years seem to have so much enjoyment, especially Durant. He was like the, uh, the epitome of enjoyment when you watched him play back with OKC and even before that Seattle, you know, this young kid who seemed to really love to play. I don't really have an answer. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's social media, um, but it's shocking to me that so many players and so many administrators and owners could be so unhappy while the business of basketball should bring so much enjoyment to them because the game at its purest is just so much fun. Well, I think, you know, social media is interesting. When I was coaching this USA basketball group, the, the one thing that I noticed immediately uh, that was different was how quiet the bus rides were. Everybody was just absolutely just staring at their phone. I don't care if it was a bus ride to shoot around, game, practice, whatever it was, it was dead silence. And I think the players are missing out on the camaraderie aspect uh, that makes the job, I feel, um, something that can't be replaced. When I, when I got fired from Houston, uh, like the, the biggest thing that I missed, the two biggest things were the competition and camaraderie. But I think the players are missing out on that sense of camaraderie. And if the players are missing out on that sense of camaraderie, then I know that the coaches are because when coaches and players are aligned and pursuing a common goal, then there is an unbelievable chemistry and tightness to the group. And if the players and coaches don't feel that, then the management can't possibly feel that. And then it's like everybody is going for their own gratification. And with social media, if you give it weight, I would guess, and I'm not on social media per se, but I've read, you know, tweets and all that. I would say, I, I think this is conservative. 80% 80% are negative commentary when it comes to sports. And and so if you give all that weight and you read your phone constantly, you're going to be taking in a lot of negative thoughts. Whereas players in the past, they didn't have those phones to look at. You know, they had to actually read the paper or listen to the talk shows. Now, because the phones are such a predominant part of everybody's life, the criticism is right there for you to look at and look at on a consistent basis. I can't think that could possibly be helpful for your outlook on your job or your professional life. 
But what do you what do you do about that, Coach? Because I have a 17 year old son, and when we go out to dinner, I ask him just to put his phone aside so he's not on Snapchat, he's not on Instagram, and and uh, he doesn't do the Twitter or Facebook thing, just so we can have legitimate, sincere person to person interaction. Because before I know it, he's going to be out of the house, and I'll rarely see him. But it's one thing to tell your son to do it; it's another thing to tell. Kyrie Irving to get off his phone. Like, what's the solution here? Is it a is it a, is it a societal reflection? You know, is is the NBA kind of reflecting what we see with the uncivil discourse almost anywhere we look, including the highest office of the land right now? Well, I think it. I don't think you can. You know, I mean, I was interested in you talk to coaches. Players are on their phones at halftime, at halftime of games, Crazy. right before games, right at halftime. So. Like, I don't know if you can make a rule. I don't know if you want to have a phone monitor or you have, you know, in your locker room, you try to make it such where you don't get reception. But I think, you know, these are adult people and they have to know that it doesn't make them happy looking at negative stuff. It it wouldn't make anybody happy reading negative stuff about themselves. But why would we give Johnny from Des Moines, Iowa, power over how I feel. Why would I even read this stuff? And I, there has to be somewhere. I'm not an expert on all this, but I have to believe there's a way or a function that you can turn off reading. You can still look at your phone, but don't have to read the comments. Because like I said, I, I, it makes no sense for me to be reading negative stuff about yourself day after day after day after day. No, I, I totally agree. Um, and the unhappiness, Coach, seems to seep over at times to the fans. Like, I'm as guilty as reading, of reading social media as anybody else. I mean, it's connected to what I do. You know, let people know who's on the podcast. Let people know when we release something. But even when you go on Twitter, like NBA Twitter, you see a lot of fans saying the unhappiness has kind of seeped over onto the court. Um, or, excuse me, off the court into, into the stands. Like, I think this is a problem, Coach, that the NBA needs to address. I just don't know how they do it. Yeah, and I, I think there's always heckling. I think it's getting, it can be documented now. I think there's a lot of fans who feel brave when they know the players can't retaliate. And so they, with the consumption of alcohol and knowing that these players can't come at them, there's, uh, they're emboldened a little bit. And I think, obviously, we've read about that. And it's worse in some places than others. But I just think, yeah, I think there's just a general, like, everybody likes the drama aspect, feeds into the drama aspect. There's less and less analysis of the game. There's less and less love of the game. Uh, And I find that a little bit terrifying for the direction of our league. Yeah, no, no, I agree with that as well. And on that note, let's actually talk about the game as opposed to leaving, we'll just leave the drama aside for a little bit. Um, I want to start here. Do you think Golden State is more vulnerable this year than they have been over the past four or five years? Yeah, I think if you would have told me in the past, uh, you know, during this, this run, you can have two choices. You can take Golden State or you can take the rest of the field. I would have taken Golden State. This year, I would take the field. And I think they're going to still, I think they're going to get one major challenge in the Western Conference. And I think the Eastern Conference champion, whoever comes out of those four teams, 
we're go- each have a good shot at coming out. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick uh, I'm gonna pick the Eastern Conference champion to now win it. I think these teams are really good. I think they're hungry. I think the defensive metrics of Golden State uh, historically have shown you uh, they're a bottom half team now. It's 16th, I think, in defense. That's not uh, a championship caliber defense. If you just go by stats and history, I think their depth has been compromised more. I think they're in for a really tough uh, run here. They certainly have Hall of Fame players throughout their starting lineup. They have a great starting lineup. Uh, and uh, I just think this, these Eastern Conference teams are really, really good. You know, and staying on the Golden State thing for a minute, Coach, I thought of you a couple of weeks ago when um, there was the clip that surfaced of Steve Kerr using some language about how sick and tired he was of dealing with Draymond Green's blank. And look, I would imagine coaching Draymond would be hard, but if you had cameras on you at all times in social media back in the 90s when you were coaching those Nick teams that had some difficult characters, I would imagine you would have had some choice language language for some of them as well that would have caught on on, on the social platforms. No, and, and the players would have had some caught about me <laughs> on the social media platforms too, right? I mean, so, like, yeah, I mean, and again, this is where I, I don't, have the same level of respect for how we cover the game now because people are just waiting for things like that to try to like ask questions that divide and divide and put wedges between people instead of just acknowledging this is just hey this is part of it it's no big deal you know who knows what had happened right before that who knows if what Draymond Green said or did but I think it's less newsworthy then it was treated. It was no big thing. I think this happens a lot with coaches. Uh, I know it happens a lot with coaches, and I know it happens a lot with players. It's a long season. You're together a lot, and sometimes you just do get tired of each other's crap. I want to know, Coach, what you make of Russell Westbrook because there's so much to love, okay? Uh, You know, I love how hard he plays. I love how hard he works. I kind of love the fact that he doesn't care about being your friend. But then you dig into some of the metrics and you look at how detrimental at times his one-on-one selfish play and lack of ability to shoot it at a high clip is hurting Oklahoma City. It is, to me, one of the most fascinating basketball topics to dissect whether or not, I mean, anybody would want Russell Westbrook on their team, but for all of his individual brilliance, at times it appears that he's playing in a style that's not conducive to an overall team scheme. I think they're a very interesting team at uh, I did their game last night. I've done them a couple times recently. And they have to win with dominant defense, rebounding, and then timely offense. Because offensively, only Paul George and Westbrook have enough punch to score at a high level. Uh, Steven Adams, very inconsistent. Jerry and Grant, really improved, but still not somebody you can count on for 15 to 18 points a game. And then, you know, their fifth player is up and down all the time. I don't think they really have a starter in that position. Schroeder comes in, that gives them the best lineup. But I just, I just don't think they're a really gifted offensive team. And so I think it leads to more double teams on Paul George, more open shots for Westbrook and his teammates. And right now, uh, they're just a really poor shooting team. And it really hurts them. And so there's so much pressure on their defense and rebounding because 
in the half court offense, they just don't have very many weapons. So um, if, if you closed your, well, not close your eyes, but if you, if you didn't know the name on the back of the jersey or the numbers and you watched San Antonio play this year, it may as well be Tony Parker, Manu Ginobili, and Tim Duncan in their prime. I mean, look, they're obviously not that good, but the style they play continues to hold true. And then you look at the depth chart and you're pulling up some of these names and you're going, wait a second, Derek White? But they, they still continue to get results because Coach Pop demands a certain style of play. You, I, look, I don't know that they're, they're going to be able to make hay in the postseason, but they're one of the more under-talked-about stories, I think, in the regular season. Well, they had the rodeo trip, and they were 1-7, and everything looked bleak, and then yeah. they won nine in a row, right? Yeah. And they just, when you watch them, they're not great defensively this year, but they're improving. But what they are is they play differently on offense. They're not a predominant pick-and-roll team. They still move the ball. They shoot great from three, but shoot a lot less threes than most. They'll take long twos, and they don't have angst about that. So they just play differently, and they play a smart brand of basketball. When you look at them individually, they play to their own strengths, and they play to each other's strengths. And defensively, they know what they're trying to take away from a team and from individuals, and so they don't beat themselves. They're low turnover you know, they just don't beat themselves. So if you're low turnover and you don't foul, hey, you've got a good chance right there to stay in the game. And I just love the way they've had a reduction in talent, but their intelligence and their unselfishness have stayed at a high level. And that's why they're right here in the hunt. They're going to make the playoffs. What seed they get, hey, if they get up to, you know, four, that 4-5, four they could win that first-round series. What do you make of what Doc has done, Coach? Because there was an article that came out recently, I believe it was Ben Golliver, to give credit, um, how when Doc gave up the general manager duty and a good friend of yours, Lawrence Frank, has slid in to really help him out and only focused on the coaching, it's really reinvigorated him. He signed an extension that will ensure that he's the head coach of the Clippers for the next four or five years. I think this is his best coaching job, and that's saying a lot, Coach, because he's had a lot of great coaching jobs. I agree. I don't think it had anything to do with him giving up the formalness of the you know him being president i think in, in season all he did was coach anyway and no matter who was there before lawrence they had a structure that you know doc wasn't doing you know he wasn't out scouting college games and stuff like that so i think that's a little bit overstated i i, I agree with you though he has done he's done a great job every place he's been orlando boston and the clippers they've played at a high level this year, with all the changes that they've had to their roster, they have played magnificent, high-energy basketball. Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell off the bench give them this edge on most nights. Uh, that's incredible. And I just like watching them play. I like watching them play for each other. And uh, they are going to be an absolute nightmare in the playoffs for somebody. Speaking of a team that I think is going to be a nightmare in the playoffs, Coach, the Jazz, lately, they're not just winning, they're smashing teams, and the schedule is lightened up. It's eased up, certainly. But look, with the way seeding will play out, there's a chance that they don't get out of the first round of the playoffs, and I think there's also a chance that they could maybe win not just one round, maybe two, depending on who they match up with. What do you think is realistic for Jazz fans when it comes to the postseason as far as their performance? And, and what do you think would s- signify a, a step in the right direction since they did win a series last year? Well, I, I don't know if I, I would 
I, I think they've made steps and strides. I think they're constantly trying to, you know, build a championship caliber team. I think they've had a lot of setbacks injury-wise. I think their point guard position has been up and down due to injury and just, you know, inconsistent play. I don't think Ingles has been quite as good this year as he was last. But when you go into a series with Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert and the defense that they play, you have a chance to win any series you're in. And so, yes, they could lose in the first round. They could also be in the finals. I mean, I, I think, you know, the finals obviously is a little bit harder to picture. But if everything broke right for them, uh, with that type of dominant defense and a player as prolific as Mitchell, they have a chance. Now, moving to the Eastern Conference, Coach, um, like I said, I, I would give Coach Bud Coach of the Year if I had a vote, I, just what he's done with them defensively. Um, but look, Toronto, Philly, Boston um, are all very, very good teams. Do you think there is a front runner uh, out of the Eastern Conference if you had to pick today? Well, if I had to pick, I'd pick Boston. But not by their play this year, which has been uneven, but by, I think, what they can get it together in the playoffs, but seeing Toronto, they are big and they are tough and they are experienced and deep. And the same with Milwaukee. I mean, those two teams have played great, great basketball. And then, you know, the best starting five may well be Philadelphia. So I think the Eastern conference is going to be fabulous the last two rounds. And it's going to be fascinating to watch. And I think I would caution each fan base to not overreact because you could be out in the second round or you could win a championship. The fine line between advancing and being eliminated, it's so very razor thin. And so I'm interested to see how the Eastern Conference plays out. Story broke um, today, Coach. I don't know how, you know, how, since, you know, since he was such a dominant player in college and couldn't do much in the pros, I don't know how much of Jimmer Fredette you were able to watch. But um, goes overseas, dominates the league in China, now comes back and signs a two-year deal with Phoenix. Um, he's 30 years old, so we'll see what it means. But do you think this could be an avenue where he maybe finishes his career successfully for the next four or five years in the NBA? Well, I think the game is played at, on the offensive end, and it fits for debt better now. I think the lack of emphasis on defense uh, fits for that better now. Um, I don't know how much he could have improved playing against uh, that type of competition in China. It's awful. And so I'm just interested. Also interested in how he sees it. Does he have to play a lot or is he happy just being on an NBA roster? You know, you don't really know what he's looking for, but I hope it works out for him because, you know, here's a, like a lottery pick and he never got traction in the NBA. And, you know, he seems like he, he found happiness playing in China. And hopefully he can keep that happiness here uh, as he heads to play for Phoenix. You know, he's going to play for a guy in Igor Kokoskov, who was Quinn Snyder's assistant coach. And there's um, a lot of reports that Igor might lose his job at the end of the season. And, and, and Coach, and I by just— By the way, that would be the stupidest thing of all time. And that's, what, mean, that's what I was going to say. I have such an yeah. issue with these ownership groups hiring a coach, giving him a, a glut of young players who don't know how to tie their shoe— 
And, and then when, you know, the arc isn't what they want it wanted to be. And I don't know if he's going to lose his job, but I, this is what this was my question. Just the dynamic of ownership, hiring general managers and coaches, giving them the green light to go young and then firing them when they don't win 50 games. Well, a lot of people lose the stomach for a rebuild. And so you saw it even with Philly, right? Yep. Uh, they moved on from Sam Hinkie, right? They, they lost their stomach for the rebuild that he set in, in motion at their direction. And so, you know, in Phoenix, uh, they've been bad for a long time now. And what they need to do is have a great amount of introspection as to why. Can it truly be they keep hiring the worst coaches or is their roster not well put together? And are they too young to be prepared to win? And, and are they too right now, do they lack durability in their best players to win? You know, Booker's out a lot. They, they have a lot of injuries. And they went into the season with the worst point guard situation in the NBA. And so to ask Igor to be able to overcome that through what? His, his knowledge? His smarts? Are you kidding me? Yeah. There's a lot of There's all smart coaches in the NBA. This is a roster league. You either have a good enough roster to win or you don't. And anybody that takes the time to watch Phoenix would say their roster is not equipped right now to win due to inexperience, talent, and also injury. All three of those factors have come in. That's why they're not a good team. And so you've got to give this guy a chance, and you've got to give whoever they're going to hire um, next as their general manager a chance to put together a roster that can win. No, I agree. Coach, uh, thanks as always for the time. Um, I know you've been traveling a ton back-to-back, coast-to-coast, um, and so when you have downtime, I appreciate you spending a little bit with, uh, with us. I appreciate it, Coach. Absolutely. No problem. Take care. All righty, special thanks to Jeff Van Gundy for taking time out of his busy schedule to join the Reality Check podcast. As always, hope you enjoyed that conversation. Um, I think Jeff does a fantastic job on the call. He's my favorite analyst when it comes to anybody who's on NBA games now. Does a great job for ESPN and ABC. And of course, I'll continue to remind people every time Jeff joins us on the pod, because I, I feel like I'm becoming the old man, get off my lawn guy. Don't forget, Jeff was one of the finest NBA head coaches in the 90s with the New York Knicks and later with the Houston Rockets. So some good stuff there. Special thanks to Jeff Van Gundy for joining us. Don't forget, please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get shows, we are there. Subscribe, rate, and review. Share with your friends. Got a lot of exciting things coming up on the pod. Quinn Snyder, Doc Rivers, Danny Ainge, among others, to join us as we get you ready for playoff basketball in the NBA. And as always, thanks so much for being along for the ride. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.